Noble Experiment by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 11, There Are Aliens on Earth. Buffy spent the night in isolation from the outside world in a National Guard armory. A team of over 30 men, including General Hunt, conferred with him long into the night. All the credit was being given to Coffee, and he was informed that a promotion would be forthcoming. Despite that praise, Coffee refused to take any credit whatsoever for cracking Von Grunkel's hoax. Instead, he related the information Brady had given him, step by step, and the officials were able to piece together the story. Coffee's isolation would soon be broken when he was forced into a news conference the next day. He wanted no part of the attention that was being showered upon him, and he entered the National Guard auditorium very reluctantly. But his orders were clear. He was to mention nothing about the payoffs to Von Grunkel in order to protect national security. General Hunt, Coffee, and a number of military advisors walked across the room toward a long table. The flashbulbs popped, and the television lights were bright. The announcer described the arrival as the nation watched. Colonel Robert G. Coffey making his way with General Calvin Hunt, the Air Force, to the table that has been set up here in the armory outside Portland, Oregon. Yesterday, of course, a dramatic day here in Portland and for the country, with the crash of an aircraft outside the city. The Air Force officials, as we have mentioned previously, told DBS News, that the aircraft was constructed by Dr. Owen Von Grunkel. It is believed that Von Grunkel was aboard the ship, but his body has not been identified. Colonel Coffey, the man you see in the orange jumpsuit, parachuted to Earth just seconds before the crash of the ship. General Hunt is now preparing to speak. Here is General Calvin Hunt. Hunt cleared his throat several times as his name, General Calvin B. Hunt, USAF, flashed on the television screen. Gentlemen, I'd like to open this conference by telling the world of a major fraud which has pervaded world thinking for the past few months. It has been uncovered by the man sitting next to me, Colonel Coffey, penetrated a secret simulator site in the hills around Junebug, Oregon, late yesterday afternoon. He alerted my office to the possibility of such a complex previous to his entry into the simulator site. A fleet of helicopters was dispatched to the area but learned nothing of that. Where exactly? Asked one of the reporters. I'm afraid that complex has been very cleverly liquidated and virtually no trace remains. But let me say this about the simulator. Flying saucer, if you like, left the Junebug area late yesterday afternoon. That simulator was the same craft which was used in the landing at Tobin Falls, California last June. Men had been hired and effectively posed as alien creatures. These men, the complex, and the craft are under the auspices of Dr. Von Grunkel. The crowd, holding a high respect for Von Grunkel, became a bedlam of excitement. They couldn't believe that everyone had been duped. Please, please, said Hunt into the microphone. Let's please be quiet so Colonel Coffey can speak. Go ahead, Colonel. He told Coffey and slid the microphone over to him. Coffey spent the next hour answering their questions, adeptly sidestepping the tough ones. In the end, he was responding to even the most mundane quizzing, and General Hunt decided to call the proceedings to a halt. Coffey stood and made one last statement before the television lights went down. He tried to summarize all that he felt and learned from the experience. I just want to say that I was among those who believed that aliens landed in Tobin Falls. In all my years, 
years in the Air Force, I personally have never seen any evidence that would indicate an unequivocal alien presence on Earth. But this Tobin Falls thing made sense. It, for me, fulfilled everything I had been looking for in my career. I only hope that in the future that I and the rest of you will not be so gullible, always aware of the deception that Tobin Falls. For in my own mind, with all that I have now learned, I can say categorically there are no aliens. There are no aliens. Coffee's last words were to make headlines around the globe. The publicity frightened him, and he scorned it. He left the platform and quickly walked down the congested hallway as the media pursued him. A young private made his way through the entourage and called for coffee. He glanced back, catching the private in his peripheral vision, and stopped immediately. Colonel, Colonel, this way, this way, a call from your wife. Coffee pushed his way backward through the bloodhounding recorders and back toward the private. The young soldier cleared the way, bringing Coffee into a side office. My God, said the private as he jammed the door shut. Price of fame, private. Yes, sir, answered the private. She's online too, sir. Coffee walked over to the desk. He wiped the sweat from his brow and picked up the telephone. Peggy? Oh, I'm sorry. They wouldn't let me call you before, and I'm glad it's over. You look tired on TV, Bob. I am tired. Couldn't take much more of it. All I want to do now is get on the next jet back to Washington. You can't do that, Bob. Why not? Bill Brady called me yesterday. Bill? Where? Is he all right? Asked the excited coffee. Bob, I don't know. He just left a message for you. What kind of message, Peggy? Coffee wanted to know. My God, poor Bill. Feels so sorry for Bill. Damn, he was right all along. Maybe he's going off the deep end, Peg. Did he sound bizarre? Enthusiastic, not bizarre. He emphasized it was very important. Well, where the devil is Peace Mountain? Asked Coffee as he rubbed his tired eyes. I looked it up on the map, Bob. It's near Utah and Salt Lake City. Wait a minute. Bill's in a very unstable state, and he'll be sought by the authorities. If I send them out there... Bill might do something rash. No, I have to ask Hunt if I can go out there myself. That might be the best idea, Bob, but please be careful. I will. You see, Peggy, at this point, I think I'm the only one that Bill trusts. You're right, Bob. You're absolutely right. Coffee made the arrangements with Hunt, and it was agreed, in conjunction with an FBI directive, that he'd be flown to a base near Salt Lake City. Upon arrival in an Air Force jet, he was surrounded by FBI agents who advised him how to proceed. Although he did not want to take weapons, he was persuaded to bring both a high-powered rifle and a pistol. A helicopter equipped with a shortwave radio was brought into the hangar. Coffee, still in the orange jumpsuit, stood by the chopper and was ready to go. Now, Colonel, said the agent named Davenport, play upon his feelings. Chicago told us this guy is really driven to do what he does. If you're going to reason with him, you'll have to remember what I told you. Understood, Davenport, said Coffee as he got inside the red and white helicopter. Agree to what he's doing. Use my relationship with him to get him back. And use force if necessary. Mr. Davenport, I've known Bill Brady for a long time, and I really don't think those weapons are appropriate. Bring them, Colonel. You don't know what will happen out there. Coffee nodded, and the blades of the chopper began to revolve swiftly. 
He put on a pair of sunglasses and strapped himself in. And then the chopper lifted from the cement pad. As he rose above the airbase, he could see the flat extending to the horizon. He had about three hours of daylight remaining. He was 40 minutes into his flight before he was able to see the mountain ranges coming into view. A short time later, the rising protrusion called Peace Mountain was beginning to take shape as dual peaks in the sunlight. GA3192 to base. GA3192 to Salt Lake Base. I have a visual sighting of the mountain now. Estimated time of arrival is 10 minutes. You have two hours and 20 minutes of sighting time left. Understood, said Coffee as the chopper flew over the remote flats toward the mountain. When he reached the mountain, he circled around several times looking for Brady in the afternoon sunlight along the rocky slopes. The area, however, looked totally deserted, with mountains extending for close to 90 miles into the wilderness, finally emerging on a highway 112 miles from the mountain. A single dirt road was cut through the area by wilderness management some years back, but no sign of Bill Brady. Coffee looked down at the lake in the midst of the open area near the base of the mountain and brought the copter around once again. His only choice, he perceived, was to travel over the dirt road itself. He had just gone a few hundred yards when he saw a singular figure scrambling for cover by the rocks below. The road was too narrow to bring down the chopper and he had to return to the lakeshore, setting it down in the sand. Leaving the weapons behind, and deliberately not radioing the FBI, fearing they would come out to the mountain, Coffee set out on foot down the road to the west. He spotted Bill Brady a few minutes later. This time the reporter did not run as he recognized the colonel's figure in the distance. Brady! Brady, still in his blue suit, ran up to Coffee, waving his arms and smiling broadly. He believed Coffee would help him. Bob! Bob! He said, hugging his friend. I'm so glad to see you, Bob. Were you in that chopper? Yes, it's back at the lake, said Coffee, studying Brady's eyes. Did you hear about Von Grunkle, Bill? No, no, I didn't, said Brady as he started toward the lake. I went to Junebug. Stingler was working for Von Grunkle. I found a simulated spaceship and I don't care about Von Grunkle anymore, stated Brady. Coffee raised his brow, perplexed at Brady's new attitude. He stopped and looked at his friend. You what? I have more important things on my mind, said Brady as he walked ahead. Come on, Bob, I have to get to the mountain while there's still some daylight left. You chase after this guy for years and years. Something finally breaks and you don't care? I don't know the answer right now, said Brady as if he possessed some keen insight. Answer to what? asked the perturbed coffee. After all, he had just risked his own life for something Brady had believed in, and now Brady didn't want to discuss it. The aliens! The aliens! said Brady confidently. If you would just listen to me, Bill, they were all actors, just like you thought. The ship was a phony rocket-powered craft, which crashed in Portland yesterday. Von Grunkle is missing and there are no aliens. That's just it, Bob, said Brady, as the lake and the mountain came into view. My God, that's really it. Only from the other side. It is the mountain. There it is. There it is. That's really it. Only from the other side. But that is it. That is the mountain. The mountain appeared as a jutting series of jagged edges against the blue sky. In the foreground, the lake was deep in color with not a ripple on it and shaded by the overhead rocks. 
Bill, please explain yourself, because I don't know what's going on here. I will, Bob. You are the only one here, correct? Yes, I am. As I thought. I trust you, Bob. I'm talking about real aliens, Colonel. Creatures not of this world. Real aliens? Since when do you believe in real aliens? They're inside that mountain, Bob, and I'm going to make contact with them. They're called the Mergendorf. Oh, yeah, the Mergendorf. Sure. Sure, Bill. Come over by the chopper and I'll show you Alice and the White Rabbit. This is no joke, Bob, he said sternly. I know there are aliens in that mountain. Yeah, and how do you know that, Bill? Asked Coffee as they reached the red and white helicopter. I'll tell you, I'll tell you. He began to pull out pouches from all his suit coat pockets. There's approximately $65,000 in gold here. Oh, Lord, what have you done now? It's mine, Bob, legally, all mine. It was in a time capsule in San Francisco. You can check with attorney Alfred Johnson on South Pasadena Boulevard. Bill, why don't you just get in the chopper and we'll go back? You listen to me, Bob, he said angrily. There's a little girl named Lorna in Seton General Hospital in San Francisco. All of this money is to go to her, is that clear? Is that the girl who called me from Boise? Yes, but Bill, I have to check this out. I can't just go over there and hand over this to some kid. Then check it out. Check it out. Look, Bill, if you get in the chopper, you can give it to her personally, insisted Coffee as he opened the door and straddled the opening. No, 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 no. I'm going up that mountain, Bob, he said, turning and walking toward a trail along the lake. Coffee reached the inside and, and pulled out the rifle. He braced it on his shoulder and pointed it squarely at his friend. Hold it right there, Bill. Brady half turned and caught sight of the rifle. He spun around, stunned that his friend would use force. Forget it, Coffee, forget it, he scorned. Okay, Bill, get in the chopper now. Brady seemed a little pensive and then shook his head. No, Bob, you're not going to use that rifle. I'm leaving to go up the mountain. You can believe me or not. Just make sure that Lorna gets that money. She means a lot to me, Bob. Make sure she's all right. Bill, you're going with me, he said loudly. Goodbye, Bob, said Brady one last time as he walked away from the colonel. Coffee aimed the rifle at him as he headed onto the lakeside trail, but he didn't fire. Brady had called his bluff and was about to climb the mountain anyway. It would take several hours, he thought, but he was just going to have to be patient while Brady went through the motions. He sat next to the helicopter, put down the rifle, and grabbed his binoculars. In total silence of the wilderness, he waited. GA3192, this is Davenport. Do you read? Sound of the agent over the shortwave several minutes later. Coffee looked up at the set. Reluctantly, he stood and picked up the microphone. This is Coffee. I read you. Colonel, what's going on up there? We haven't heard from you for a half an hour. I'm searching on foot. No, absolutely not. Do not send a team out here. I will continue the search alone. No sign of Brady? No, uh, I'm still looking. I can come back after dark, no problem. And I can return again here tomorrow, said Coffee as he looked up. Brady had just begun climbing the hazardous rock trail just above the forest line. Check back in ten minutes, said the agent. I'll check back in forty-five, said Coffee. I'm not running back to the chopper every ten minutes, he said as he shut off the set and raised his binoculars.
Brady walked quickly along the narrow trail, pulling himself over the tighter spots, but always geared toward the indentation between the two peaks. The land below was dark, and the upper half of the range was the only area left in sunlight as he strode across the scattered rocks of the indentation. Coffee held the binoculars steady as Brady looked down at the far shore and the tiny red and white helicopter. Coffee would see Brady wave and then look directly into the sky around him. I know you know I'm here, shouted Brady into the cool wind. Show yourselves, he demanded as he looked eastward over the salt flats and pointed. Right down there, 88 years ago, you chased a Renegan ship. It crashed over there after it hit this very mountain. This mountain, I know about this mountain. It's station number six. You call yourselves the guardians of Earth, Neuralon. Listen to me. I know of Commander Grok, Paris, and the rest of you blue-haired creatures. Listen to me, he cried as he sank to his knees on the rocks. I know you exist. I know of August 31st, 1992. Coffee munched on the sandwich that they had prepared for him. He lifted the field glasses one more time. When he saw Brady on his knees in the sunlight, he set the sandwich on the aluminum foil and sprang to his feet. To him, Brady was pleading with the thin air, and he was precariously close to the edge of the cliffs. Fearing for Brady's life, he leaped into the chopper, but he debated whether to start the blades. He put his finger on the switch and was about to push it. What he saw at the top of the mountain made him freeze. This reserved Air Force colonel barreled out of the helicopter as if he had just been electrocuted. He ran onto the lakeshore and planted himself in the sand as he looked through the field glasses to the extraordinary events above the mountain. Brady looked up into the sky. 300 feet above him, an M-shaped ship appeared almost instantaneously. The same M-shaped ship from his blackouts. The blue-green vessel glowed in the twilight. Perhaps Coffee was studying it from below. There were hundreds of tiny windows at the top down to the bold, curving tails at each base. Brady stood as if he were facing his accuser and pleaded to know the truth. A triangular beam of green, twinkling light spewed forth from the bottom of the vessel, encompassing all the space between the peaks. And then the beam slowly retracted into the ship, bringing Bill Brady up along with it. Seconds later, the ominous vessel darted into the skies with no sound and no dispersal of air and no explanation. On the ground, Coffee swallowed several times, checking and rechecking the mountain with the binoculars. His eyes were wide open, not tearful, but in a state of stupor. He shook his head, telling himself that what he had just seen was not real. Yet he had seen it vividly. Taking the logical course, he headed back to the chopper, hoping Brady might still be on the mountain, perhaps behind some rock. He started the blade spinning and brought the chopper upward toward the base of the mountain. The light was dim up here, but adequate enough to see Brady if he could find him. Coffee prayed that Brady had not fallen over the edge. What the colonel found, however, as he reached the top, was that Brady simply was not there. Landing the chopper, he got out and scoured the rocky indentation. It was suddenly very dark, and Coffee, visibly upset, got back in the helicopter. He circled the area a number of times before he headed back east and into the darkness. 
What could he say to the men waiting back at the base? He was the man that, only 24 hours before, had just exposed the fraudulent alien spaceship. He was the man who, with no qualms, had just proclaimed to the world that there were no aliens. Would he go back to the world with a wild story of a colossal hulk perched in the air, zapping his disturbed friend into its interior, and then vanishing into space? As he flew back, his mind was understandably confused. He kept the short wave unplugged during the 40-minute trip. He emerged from total darkness and down to the well-lit pad at the base. He had no idea what he would tell Davenport. He stuffed the gold in pouches into the lunchbox and looked across the runway. In seconds, he was surrounded by a large contingent of police and agents. Well, Colonel, asked Davenport as Coffee stepped out, carrying the lunchbox under the spinning blades. Coffee looked blank as the words were still trapped in his throat. Colonel, are you all right? asked one of the policemen. No, no, I'm fine, he said as he began walking toward the terminal, still in a state of disbelief. Bob, what's the matter? asked Davenport. Coffee stopped, squinted, and pressed his teeth against his lips. Gentlemen, I regret to inform you that the information was false. Bill Brady was never out at Peace Mountain. Join us next week as a noble experiment by Robert P. Fitton continues. This has been a production of Fitton Theatre of the Words.